in this episode of Art of Product. <laughs> Derek and I talk about Rob taking over the show from Ben, right? Am I taking over co-hosting duties from now yeah, on? Yeah, this is... Who are you? You've invaded the show. I know. Hey. Ben thinks he's gone for a couple weeks. <laughs> he's gone for good. Man. Sorry, Ben. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm Rob Walling. Yeah, I'm nice. Derek Reimer, your normal host. And uh, yeah, pleasure to have you today, Rob. Thanks, man. I'm the abnormal host today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for inviting me on, man. Yeah. I was on uh, stacking uh, giant robots. Sorry. <laughs> crashing into, yeah, crashing into other. Uh, smashing. Smashing. Yeah. Right. yeah. So I was on that a long, long time ago, really before either of us knew Ben, mm -hmm. I think. Yep. And But I haven't been on Art of Product. So. Yeah, we were uh, we were standing around at, at uh, MicroConf and we were talking to Adam. He's like, oh, yeah, last time I guessed it on Art of Product. And you're like, what the heck, man? Yeah, why have you, <laughs> how, it, how have I not been on this? I, I think know. there's like a six degrees of Rob Walling thing with yeah, podcasts because yeah. I've been on so many of them. But uh, right. so, uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, I don't think we've been on. We yeah, yeah. Come and talk, talk about some stuff. So good to finally have you. I have to ask, get this out of the way up front. Do you prefer retired or unemployed? Um, probably unemployed, <laughs> I think. Retired okay. sounds so, A, it makes me feel old. Right. Which I'm not that old. And, uh, I really am enjoying the not mm -hmm. going into work mm, thing. I bet. Missing pieces of it, as I'm sure you are. Yeah. The team and stuff. But I'm not missing the fact that I do not have slack on any of my mm, devices. That's music to my it ears. Yeah. crazy, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a great moment, actually, was when I deleted slack off my phone because they didn't actually boot me out of slack right away which is kind of yeah. funny like i kept I, it was like i was sort of still in stuff in case they had questions in the weeks following but yeah. um i waited about a week and then i was like okay you know what i think i'm ready to be done with this and that yeah. was it was a nice moment yeah i can imagine so i got a personal laptop obviously mm -hmm. you know so when work ended i moved to that i never installed slack on that still had it on my phone and yeah. like you said for a couple days people were i got a few questions and stuff from from work yeah which was fine and then i was like i'm ready to uninstall this and then microconf started and it's like i need to keep it on and yeah it was a little bit agonizing. i did put it back on for microconf and of course when i did my like single sign-on thing it signed me into 10 different slacks yeah. that i've joined over the years and i'm like oh no yeah. like they all have zillions of notifications. Yeah. I'm like, I'm intentionally ignoring those. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got rid of all those actually. Yeah. So when I single sign on now, it's just one thing. Mm, like I've logged yeah. out of them. So yeah, it was good. So I finally deleted Slack off my phone just this morning, actually, nice. right before I came over. Yeah. So yeah. I'm waiting for level to be able to install it. Yeah. You know, um, it's funny at, at microconf, I was having a conversation with, uh, with Garrett diamond and they, they were, he was talking about uh, wild bits, new app conveyor and how they just, they publish stuff about this, but they're just switching from a native Mac app over to an Electron app, which is, mm -hmm. you know, Electron is what Adam's built on, is what the Slack client is built on. Mm -hmm. And so it gets a really bad rap for being super resource intensive. It was kind of a fun conversation because like one of the questions I get often is, so how many clients is Level going to be available on? You have mobile, right. you're going to have desktop right. right out the gate. Right. So. But yeah. does Electron, is that what it's called? Does, yeah. does it allow you to have all those or no, just, it oh, just, just does desktop desktop, yeah. but it's like desktop, it's windows, Mac and yep. Linux. Is that the idea? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's where you're going to start. That's obviously. where I'm going to start. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I, I pulled down Electron in the last couple of days just to toy around with it. And there's like a very nice, I mean, there's a hello world, like download the code, one line command and you have like a running Electron app mm -hmm. and then you can just kind of use that as a starting point and go from there. So I think I'm going to try to actually. Similar to like getting production deployments going early on, I want to try to get like some kernel of an Electron app going yep. early on too, so yep. I can sort of build that out in tandem with the web app and see right. how that goes. Yeah, and so you're writing in Elixir, and does it live within the Electron like uh, uh, iframe is what I'm thinking, or a container yeah. of some kind? Yeah, it's basically, I, my understanding is that Electron is basically just a packet, a bundled browser inside of a, so yep. it has Chromium, which yep. is underpinnings of Chrome right. built into this binary. So it compiles and it can, you know, it just pulls your web app down from your servers and can run JavaScript and HTML. It just, you can actually view source and see the same like Chrome HTML. debugger yeah. that you get in okay. other things. So that's cool. Yeah. Is there a, an Electron equivalent yeah. for iPhones and mm -hmm. Android, you know, another yeah. a different container where you can just deploy? I guess so, it wouldn't be odd. But. Yeah. So I think there's, there's a thing called PhoneGap which I've, heard, of it, I've yeah. heard of that. It's been around for a while. I don't know how in vogue it is. I haven't really kept up with the mobile app industry and how people are doing it, but I know that like that used to be a big thing. And then it for a while was like not the most popular way to do it because the, the experience just didn't yep. feel quite as smooth. Not native. Yeah. But I'm wondering, like it's 2018 now, like mm -hmm. maybe they've improved it to the point where yep. it's not that big of a deal. And hopefully I could build really performant front end code that 
doesn't feel choppy. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to know. Yeah, because if it doesn't feel native, and you're targeting developers, yeah. it's, it's going to be rough. Like yeah. you're you're definitely going to have a high bar of usability, or even just they know how the where the bodies are buried. Developers yeah. know how the sausage is made, so yeah. they're going to see. They're going to be like, use PhoneGap, and you're not right. supposed to do that, or whatever. Right. You know? Yeah, it's funny. I saw a tweet the other day for uh, so Twist, which is another Slack competitor out there. Someone was like giving them props, and the way they gave them props was screenshotting the the Mac process uh, viewer and was like eight threads. That's what I like to see. Like going native, not using Electron. Oh my god! <laughs> like, like I think that may have factored into that developer's buying decision. Yeah, the fact that the Mac client is a native, is a native Mac, Mac client. client. Oh, I'm like, oh boy. no. Is this is, what I'm going to be dealing with? <laughs> yeah, yes, it is, actually. Yeah. So are they native? Is it Twist? I always forget if it's Swift or it's Twist. Twist. You just said it, but I... Yeah. Um, do they have native... They have a native Windows app, too? And I don't Linux know. And native I don't iOS? know. I haven't dug into that. Okay. Um, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me, I guess. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because they have a team and stuff. Man, yeah. Not only is that hard to build, that's hard to maintain to right. keep all, everything on feature parity. So. I know. That's the... Yeah. To me, it's a, a big sign that Wildbit, who I, I mean, I respect their mm -hmm. founders and I know they produce great software. And even them, like, I think they're trying to go the pure approach and we're going to build native and it's going to be great. And yeah. then they found, actually talking to Garrett, he was like, the biggest reason was that, uh, the biggest reason why they decided to punt on that is because they're so accustomed to their designers being able to basically build out the front end and take it that far. Yeah. And so the, the, the boundary between front end and design and back end was... You know, they're just used to that in the web flow and in uh, with the native app, like the designers could only go to mock up stage yeah, and then right. hand off to developers to do all the rest. And that just yep. was such a big shift that it just didn't fit with their, yep. you know, the way their organizations used to building software. Totally. And that, man, that reminds me of, you know, web versus desktop back when we were yeah. still doing Windows apps and .NET. Yeah. I know people still do it, but when I was in that, it was the same thing. Designers would give it to us and then it's like, uh, can't, you can't just yeah. give me the, the view layer in a right. sense, you know? And right. it's like, no, you have to build this out now. And yeah. it was, it was kind of ugly, so. Yeah, I remember that was such a, even at Drip when we first joined the team, remember when we were telling them about how we, telling the lead pages team how we like to hire designers and we're like, actually we look for people who can, you know, not only build in Sketch or Photoshop or whatever, but take it into HTML, CSS and own that whole thing. And I remember some people there were like, sort of like mind blown, like, wow, that's so, that's so amazing if you can find people to do that. Right. But I feel like that's such like the way to do it these days. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah. yeah, it's certainly the way that you and I wanted to do it yeah. is to avoid having that extra layer, right? And when you're small, it's like you need the multi-purpose, the non, you know, maybe they're yeah. not as specialized, but even as we grew, if we had hired folks, uh, there would be too many handoffs, yeah. you know, if we had a designer yep. and then that person, I would say slicing, but I know we don't use it anymore, <laughs> the person turning the sketch into the HTML, right. you know, yeah. and even, yeah, I mean, our designers get into the, the view layer. That's why we call them, I think it was the job title was like UX developer. Yeah. It was like UI slash UX developer maybe yeah. was the title instead mm -hmm. of, des and, and designer is someone who, you know, at least in our book, wouldn't take it to yep. HTML. Yeah. So I was listening to a podcast the other day and it reminded me, I want to maybe reminisce a little bit about, about our times at Drip. Um, it is this podcast called Work Life that it's relatively new. There are a few episodes in. I haven't heard of it. And yet. it's, a, I think, produced by Ted. So one episode was about the secret to creativity on the daily show and uh, yeah. and um they were kind of talking about like breaking down their process and how they're able to i mean that sounds really crazy if you think about it they writers meet every day mm -hmm. and have to basically produce you know 22 minutes of comedy yeah. content fresh content every day so the two concepts that came out of that one was called bursting or burstiness which is sort of the phenomenon that happens when you put a group of people in a room and the creative process is going and it's sort of like people are just throwing out ideas and building off of each other and they're sort of they sort of come in bursts which is where the the term comes from and and the other component is psychological safety which is mm. feeling like you can actually like freely throw out crazy ideas that are maybe sound stupid mm -hmm. but but ultimately lead to something good mm -hmm. and they also talk about how the the product usually can't be attributed to one specific person because the whole group has sort of contributed. So it gets right. all muddied up, but they end up with a really good end result. Mm -hmm. And that reminded me a lot of our, some yeah. of our best brainstorming processes started with what words? This is going to sound like a terrible idea yep. and we would never do it this way. But what if, yep. right? Is that exactly. it? You know, something like yep. that. <laughs> and then I'd write it and it was some preposterous, yep. catastrophic idea that then you took one kernel of, you right. know, and then we would move on with. Right. 
And I'd pull that kernel out and I'd like throw something out there and you'd be like, no, 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 it's not quite that. And there'd be something else. And by the end, it was just this iterative process yeah. that became something amazing at the end, hopefully, you know? Yeah. I think that's that's like a big secret that like if that's not happening, then I think you're you're limited on how creative you can be as a team. And I, I think totally agree. You know. Yep. Yeah. If you don't have, I think that safety is huge, and it's yeah. something that you and I took for granted. I think yeah. once we, as the team grew, uh, and frankly, even with like when when Nance joined, right, and then Anna, and these were the early team yeah. members, we still had that, and we would all sit in the room and do it. Yeah. And I don't think you you and I certainly never lost that, but bringing in new team members yeah. after the acquisition, it was always like making them feel comfortable yeah. that they could, I think was harder yeah. than I thought because yeah. it's like, no, 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 we just feel comfortable in these rooms. Right. You know? And and eventually people would get up to speed with that. But early on, they would see you and I throwing things out and like, yeah. it would never get contentious, but it just, we'd just be like writing stuff on a board and yeah. doing things. And it was like, whoa, yeah. what are these guys doing? You right. Know? right. And it's like, I don't want to get in the way of their process. And it's like, no, you can contribute too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like when you're really small, like a lot of these problems of, of figuring out how to replicate something that's working and expanding it to a team, like you just don't have to worry about that when, right. when it's just us. And then we bring on Nance and, you know, Nance gets infused with the culture and he, right. it's just a tiny it's group of us and, yeah. and we just, you know, sit around in an office together. So it's pretty easy for someone like him to kind of adopt the culture. But yep. as soon as you're now like splitting into two teams and, and right. have, you know, a bunch of different managers and, and like everyone trying to bring in process, it's just, yep. I'm, I've come to respect organizations that have scaled and still managed to maintain, yep. you know, a create a culture of creativity and trust and safety and all that kind of stuff. Big time. Something yeah. like the daily show. Um, there's a really good audio book that is, it's like 12 or 14 hours. Well, it's a real book, but I listen to it on it. Yeah. And it's called like the daily show. And it's all, it talks about that piece of it yeah. and it's all the other stress and, and how they maintain creativity. Yeah. Another one, another one is the Pixar Maybe it's called the Pixar Touch, mm -hmm. and it's by Ed Catmull, and he talks mm -hmm. about the, exactly this and about how people have to step away from their ideas and they and they collaborate. But it's a lot about how can you possibly produce that many good films right. in a row, you know? Right. And I think that's fascinating. The other thing, I realize I'm throwing out a lot of books here, but I, I listened. No, to this is good. I listened to. I, I'm almost finished with Rand Fishkin's book. It's called mm. Lost and Founder. Yeah is good is it? like yeah it's really good the first chapter i struggled with a bit mm -hmm. um because he's he's kind of you can tell it's more for a lay person yeah and he's like differentiating between what a consulting firm is and a product firm and the benefits so he could kind of skip that but as he gets into it a the dude is just so authentic and transparent in a yeah. real way not in a bullshit marketing way yeah. you know by the time he gets to the end he's talking about collaboration and the chapter i just listened to he was like the way that we could collaborate and do interesting things is that there was this trust and this mm -hmm. this um, you know, ability that, that you aren't going to get mocked or, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And so, so it's, it's a common thread. And I think one other thing that, that you and I had or have is that we can stand in a room with a whiteboard for four hours Yeah. and there can be minutes of silence yep. when we're working through a problem and we don't feel like we have to speak. Right. And normally that need to speak is, is because you're uncomfortable, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. if you're with someone you don't know, it's weird to just like stand in a room and be right. silent. What's this other guy thinking? What's going on? What are we doing? Right. But we would just sit there and mull through. And that's always the thing of like deep creativity. Yeah. I've always struggled to do it with other people. Yeah. Because they start talking and it throws me off. So I'll go into a closet, you know, and right. I'll do it. And then I'll come out and be like, I think this is the answer. Yeah. You and I found a deep creativity together, which yeah. I think is, a lot harder than it sounds, yeah. you know, that silence was a big thing. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a big part of it. And like one thing they talked about on this podcast about Daily Show is that like, like one reason why it works is because, I mean, you can't just say like, we have a culture of trust and therefore everyone trust each other. And, you, you know, don't like, don't be afraid to throw out crazy ideas or don't be afraid of silence or whatever. And I think really what it comes down to is people, the people actually knew each other. Like mm -hmm. they deliberately had to put in the time. A lot of people had been there for years. Mm -hmm. So they did, they did actually know each other and have, you know, some kind of relationship to, to fall back on that made them feel comfortable. And I think the fact like, like he was sitting in the room, you know, kind of with his mic on, just capturing some audio and, and Trevor walked in and he was like, one of the striking things was that the the vibe didn't change at all. And people, the burstiness like stopped for a second when he walked in, everyone greeted him and then they just kept going. And like with comedy, I mean, you, you're throwing out things and a lot of times, like a majority of the things they threw out were like not necessarily that funny, but there was one part of it that was funny. Yep. So yep. that feels like the extreme case where, you know, when we're debating UI or some feature, like 
it's not like we're trying to make it funny, but I yeah. feel like there's there's a higher bar for comedy because if it's not funny, then it's a complete flop, you right, know? Right. So I just thought, yeah, that was really interesting. And like the fact that our I think our team that we would brainstorm with felt comfortable with us too, even mm-hmm. though technically like, you know, you're you're above them in the org chart or whatever. But sure. they, that stuff has to get thrown out. Yeah. Man. And I right. that was the way that we ran the team. Yeah, because by the time we we brought Brian the designer on and yeah. then Brendan, who runs, you know, basically runs the product now. Yeah. Um that it did take, a, I think, a few meetings and a few times hanging out with them to kind of ease that yeah. in. But I felt like by the time you and I left that that was hopefully ingrained to yeah. them that, like, we are all on equal footing in this room. Yep. Like, when we step in, frankly, most of the time anyways. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't know that I ever pulled rank in, like, five and a half years, you know. Outside of this room, it's a strong dictatorship. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but top, heavy top-down control. But in here, right, you will do what I say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Now that, that magic, there's some, there's, like, it's black magic, or maybe not black magic. It's mm-hmm. light magic. Like there's some yeah. magic in it of I like know. figuring out how to, you know, harness that lightning in a bottle. Yeah, and that's honestly like one of my biggest. As, as I think about you know transitioning to level, there's a lot of good things about getting back to. I mean, I'm a team of one right now, so mm-hmm. it's a very small team, <laughs> not even a team. Yep. And, and just like having the ability to work on problems that I want to be working on and using the languages I want to use and like all this freedom is great. But one of the things that I miss the most is the, the collaboration and not just, not just any collaboration, but Mm -hmm. that kind of the ability to actually come out with a better result with a group of people. Cause like you said, a lot of times that's not the case. Like, and that was like a fundamental question this podcast is trying to answer is like, can groups actually be creative? Because in general, like typical brainstorming is dysfunctional and doesn't actually produce catastrophic, you know, decision by committee is garbage in general. Yeah. But then how, so how does Pixar and, you know, these comedy shows that do it well or or a product team that does it well? Because all these things have a massive machine behind them and lots of people working together. So yeah, yeah, I just found it really fascinating. And and it remains to be seen like how that's, when am I going to get that with level? I, I don't know. I don't know how long I'll have to go solo, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, sure. But I look forward to when I can have that back again. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, we should whiteboard too. It's we should do it. I yeah, <laughs> I just haven't made a yeah. microcomp kind of threw a wrench right. in that. I think, and right. then you got sick and all that. So. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So what's uh what is up with level? Last update I heard was the podcast. I think it was, rec- well, it was recorded right after MicroConf, mm-hmm. right? So, um, yeah, yeah. when are, when are we going to see some mock-ups? I actually watched your <laughs> part of your YouTube coding video. Yeah. I was like getting through it. I didn't have no idea what you were yeah. doing. But I was like, is he going to show mock-ups? Are there mock-ups? And yeah. I, I don't think you did, did you? No, not really. And that's honestly, that's probably the, the thing I'm, I'm not deliberately procrastinating on it, but yeah. I, I am holding myself to a high standard. I think I talked about this a few episodes back where like, I'm giving myself the ability to to like actually produce some really polished yeah. flows as opposed to just showing like raw notebook sketches. Cause my biggest concern is that I'm going to show this to people and the response will be like, cool, looks mm-hmm. good. You know? And then it's like, well, why did I spend all my time yeah. doing this? If, it, if I'm going to get back, cool, looks good or, you know, whatever. And, and I think it remains to be seen if the mock-up phase is going to be fruitful or if it's just going to be like you're not going to get it until you can actually experience it yeah and so that's what i'm that's what i'm wrestling with right now and trying to i know it's going to take mental energy to just think about like who do i want to ask for reviews of these and Mm -hmm. and think about that and then kind of put together something that's that's kind of a tight package to show people that's reviewable because you're right sketches in a notebook you could show them to me and i'm like well what does that button do right what what is this part here Right. right There's a danger because you're threading a needle here. There are products yeah. that already do this. And yeah. you're going into a really tight niche and a really tight use case of less interruption and all that. So if you put something out that, you know, generally looks like Slack or, or yeah. a competitor yeah. and operates a little bit differently, the mock-ups are not going to indicate that. And no. so people are going to be like, well, how is this different than whatever? You know, and it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't help. So yeah. I, I do, I don't fault you. I think, you know, the, the common wisdom is like, get out there and get MVP right. and all this stuff. And it's like... You're, I actually think you are in a, a bit of, a, or there's a case to be made for you to be in a unique case yeah. here. A, you know, a open source, freemium, lots of big competitors. I mean, there, yeah. there's a bunch of stuff that a lot of other apps don't, you know, don't have to contend with. Yeah. So. Yeah. I've basically been, for the most part, building, like just building product, writing code. Mm-hmm. Um, since I've had MicroConf and now I'm sick, like I haven't done more screencasts, but I, I do want to keep doing that. Like mm-hmm. that seems to get, it's one of the highest areas of interest when I produce one of those mm-hmm. people. I get a lot of good feedback from people. I think mm-hmm. people like to see the how the sausage is made and mm-hmm. the, the inner workings. And I think that's a place where I could reveal um, 
I could do a more subtle revealing of like, here's here's what I'm looking at for on for the onboarding flow and how it flows into the actual app. And here's some of the constructs and start to introduce things through that. I can't produce an hour long video. I expect a lot of people to watch the whole thing. Sure. But if I can at least point people to slices of it and, and get feedback that way, that could be an interesting way, I think, too, to get get some early feedback. Yeah, I think so too. On flows. You know, as I think about it, the danger of, of not doing mock-ups sooner and writing all the code is, of course, if you can't go back, it's hard to go back and change yeah. it. So if you've architected it in a way where you push it out and then people are like, well, I prefer it to be like this or whatever, and there's an overwhelming thing, it's like, how hard is that to go back yeah. and change once the code's written in that? That's the bottom line, right? If yeah. that's easy, yeah. you know, then you can wait until it's uh, at least a, an alpha. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't call it easy. Being yeah. <laughs> well, of course not. Yeah. In software, nothing's easy. Yeah. Totally. You build out a couple thousand lines of code, you have legacy already, which yeah. is like, I'm trying to relish as long as possible in the st- in the phase of not having yeah. legacy holding me back. And I've already done like, I did one refactor of like the uh, authentication model. And I was like, this just reminded me too much of early days of drip and like pulling ca- subscribers away from campaigns and some of those things that we were having to do with customers already on the platform. Yeah. So I couldn't just nuke the database and agonizing. Yeah. yeah. So it takes five times as long when right. you have customers, right? Yeah. And so you just nuked your database, didn't you? I did. Oh, yeah. That's the best feeling. I actually, went, I rewrote. So there's things called, you know, database migrations that are incremental changes yeah. that are time stamped and you run them in, in order and it will produce mm-hmm. the, the database schema you want. And that's how you mutate it over time. And I literally went back and rewrote history because yep. I'm like, I do not need to preserve Just this at all. It, yeah. You know, rather than like doing a bunch of like incremental changes from the state it was before. I'm like, I can just yeah rewrite history and have a clean history. And yeah, that's so a way to do it. Won't last forever. But yeah. like you said, you're relishing it while you're there. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And you've seen I mean, you've seen both sides, you know, the, the whole range. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's super helpful to have that knowledge going into a new app, right? Yeah. Of like, not just that you can relish it at this point, but that you can <clears throat> look down the line and say, someday it's going to be, you know, someday yeah. it's going to be like this. Like, it's going to be a lot harder. And and I got to think about that now. Yeah. Right? So you lay the foundation for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, other things I've done. So I, I signed up for, I've been meaning to form the company officially so I can mm. start like making sure all my intellectual properties assigned to the, the company and, yeah. and start just all that rolling. I was found out at MicroConf that they launched um, LLC support for Stripe mm-hmm. Atlas, yeah. which was really cool. I mean, I think I, I think I still could have made it work with a corporation, but I think an LLC is just simpler in a lot of ways and sort of was built specifically for the purpose of a, you know, bootstrapper or someone who just wants to be on the smaller side and not deal with the overhead of a of a full like C corp. And yeah. so signed up for that this week and already have an entity formed. Do you really? It's like, it was like magic. Wow, that is magic. <laughs> it was amazing. Jeez, it's like an obfuscation layer <clears throat> over all yeah. the BS of forming a company. Yep. Literally, I filled out the application within a few hours, got back like a DocuSign link to some, some documents and signed those. And it's like 20 pages of basically boilerplate. Mm-hmm. And I have so much trust for Stripe that I, I looked, I read through it and mm-hmm. was like, I think this looks like mostly boilerplate, but... I know they know what they're doing. They've yeah. got Patrick McKenzie on board. Yeah. They've got, you know. <laughs> yeah. They're smart people thinking <laughs> about Smart people this, thinking right? about this. Like, I, I don't feel like they're going to be landmines in here. I feel like I can trust them. So I basically just signed it. And then uh, within a few hours, got back another link. It's like, we've set up your bank account with Aslo. Here's the, you know, we just like sign these few things, authorizing that you've read the terms, whatever. And then did that. And a few hours later, got a got an email back. It was like, okay, set your password. And here's the thing. Link your bank account, transfer some money. It was just all Jeez. like super smooth. Yeah. And one of the things I love so much about Stripe is that as like a business is they've built such a nice layer on top of so much nastiness, yep. you know, and yep. even just this whole process of forming companies, I feel like is similar to dealing with credit card processing, where there's all this, these archaic processes and legal hoops you have to jump through. And the fact that they've abstracted that is just so cool. Yep. You know, it is, um, it was a problem everyone knew was there and yeah. just none of us wanted to tackle right. it. You know? I mean, it, it was <laughs> yeah. such a monumental effort. Yeah. Yeah. And to build Atlas like this, and obviously for those who, who, you know, who don't have background, it's basically a program that allows you to form a company. And it was only C-Corps, it's Delaware C-Corps yeah. for the past, what, they launched it a year or two ago, you think? I think, yeah, about a year probably. And then, yeah. and then I think at some point you could, you can change a C-Corp into an S-Corp or whatever. And yeah. then, but LLCs are what, like you said, what bootstrappers want because it's a pass-through entity, right? Because yeah. you don't pay double taxation on yep. it. So um, they just launched LLCs really at MicroConf was the first day, I yeah. think. I'm pleased to hear that it was it was that seamless. Yeah, you know, because I've so my experience with um, 
Gusto, which used to be Zen Payroll, yeah. was not that seamless. It was fine, mm-hmm. but there were it was like it seemed like it was all going to be in the app, and then there was all this other stuff. Like as soon as we added Zach in New York, yeah, they were kind of like, all right, now you, now you need the New York whatever unemployment insurance, right. and I was like, cool, set me up, and they're like, nope, you have to go do that. <laughs> I was like, oh, so they so they it only went to an edge, you know. Yeah, and I'm not ragging on them because they'll probably get there, but yeah. it's like. The promise of it was that it would all be taken care of, and I had to then go put in a bunch of hours. Right. And it wasn't just unemployment. It was like there's disability, and then there you need a state employer number. Like there were three or four different. It's like sales tax nexus and that yep, kind of stuff. All, too. Like, and, yeah. and I had to go file. I had to go figure <clears throat> yeah. those out. And then once you had it set up, they would then file, which was fine. But yeah. I probably spent six or eight hours screwing around with, you know, because it's a bunch of janky websites you have to go yeah. to. So that was not as nice as I thought. And then the other one was um, Zenefits, which mm-hmm. is what, you know, who did our health, our health benefits for DREP before the acquisition. Yeah. It was similar. It was like, this is awesome. I'm just going to sign these things. And then it's like, yeah, it's not actually that easy. You right. know, and then I had to go do a bunch of work. Yeah. So it's super cool to hear that Stripe took it to the point where yeah. it, at least, at, you know, you're three days in or something. Yeah. It hasn't yeah. been that, you know. That I, I suspect there may be some things that are not going to be smooth. Like, I don't know what the, the process of making changes. I know they have, they have an agreement with Oric, I think, and like Oric sort of. It's a law firm. Law firm, yeah. you know, big Silicon Valley based law firm that they developed a lot of the documents. And I think they have some like, some like easy path to consulting with an Oric lawyer or something mm-hmm. for some things. Oh, but, yeah, that makes sense. But I, I suspect there, there probably are areas like once you, like, I think they make it easy to add members to your LLC. Like, it's pretty straightforward and, cool. and some of these other things. But I don't know how, when tax time comes, I don't know, Leah, sure. what complexities are going to be or. Yeah, now that you talk about like payroll and stuff, that would be another great area for Stripe to cover. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, to, just a branch. And, yeah. You know, like, you don't know if that's there. You don't know what they want to, uh, you know, be that abstraction layer on yeah. top of. But yeah. Um, yeah. Do they integrate with Zen or with Gusto, you know, or do they right. just handle it themselves? Because that's a big effort. I mean, Gusto has been working on it yeah. for four years solid yeah. and, and they're getting there, yeah. you know, but I still don't think they're there. They so. should buy them and then put their Stripe touch on it. But, yeah. Totally, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, free M and A advice right here on. Our there it is. <laughs> so call us and bros if you yeah. haven't thought about this. Uh, yeah, cool. That's the thing with with advice like this because you know we, we we used to get it or still right. get it, and yeah. it's like I'm, they they've thought a lot more about yeah. it than we have. You know, and that's totally. always the thing when I get advice from someone I, I yeah. don't know or who hasn't thought about it as much as I have. It's it's yeah. instantly like, huh. Yeah. You know, if it comes from you or it mm-hmm. comes from, you know, someone that we know and yeah. trust, it's like, yeah, okay, I believe you have my, my best interest at heart. But oftentimes advice is just like an off-the-cuff thought that you had once. And right. it's like, huh, that didn't work. And I thought about that for six hours once. You yeah. Know, so. Yeah. You know what? I, the other thing I love about Stripe is that hearing Patrick, so Patrick Collison, CEO of Stripe, did a Q&A at MicroConf, which is super awesome. It's great that they're, you know... a a self-made billionaire yeah. my age yeah. is walking around the conference. <laughs> yeah. I just, like I just looked over one day at MicroConf and there he was standing by the water cooler, jotting down notes during yeah. a talk. I'm like, this is still mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. But when he, when he gave their story, he was like, I mean, he's obviously a wicked smart guy, but also they sort of, sort of had a lot of luck along the way with, mm-hmm. with Stripe becoming successful. And a, a big part of it was like just believing they could transform the financial industry or just like, somehow like get banks to trust them and build this whole layer it's just super inspiring like it's there's such a classic silicon valley story i guess mm-hmm. of like i don't know we're just we were just like young naive mm-hmm. kids who saw a problem and just like forged ahead with it and just mm-hmm. made what needed to happen happen mm-hmm. <laughs> to yeah. to build this thing right and envisioned a world that was different yeah. very different and it's just crazy no one had tried to solve it in that yeah. way before yeah. and it, it really took to it would have taken a developer or a couple developers in this case yeah. to realize that there there is such an easy solution. Well, the easy solution is to put this layer up here, and then the hard solution is everything they did below. Yeah. And I still don't exactly know what that looks like on yeah. the back end. You know, yeah. are there still people like doing the faxing on the back end <laughs> of the thing, or do they have they just automated all that? Mm-hmm. You know, I just I have no idea. But right. I have a tough time believing because their their wedge in was us. It was developers, right? yeah. and that that was. And I think their headline, we could go back on, uh, you know, the Wayback way Machine. machine yeah. But I believe their headline early on was it was like the easiest way to take payments for developers. For developers, yeah. Th- and remember, they were on the homepage. Yeah. The early on, there was like a command line, whatever. Yeah. Was, you know, it was a, whether it was a GIF or something you could type in, it was like yeah. 
I remember you could you could basically spin up a Stripe account just by clicking a link. Like yeah. you would just be like, "Take me to my Stripe account." It's like we've set it up for you. You can set your password later, but here, start like do a test payment. Yeah, and it was amazing. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for targeting developers, which is where I hope this strategy will apply to to level as well. Right. Where like for what it's worth, like developers sort of tend to um, latch on to these grassroots movements, and I think it's a it's a very it has proven to be a very good path for apps to gain traction if you can win the hearts and minds of developers. Yeah. So that's what I'm hoping I can do with Level, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's I think that's probably what kind of what Slack did too. Mm -hmm. They were sort of appealing to the nerdy developer who mm -hmm. wanted chat in the workplace. Right. So I think Trello did that as well because yeah. it was originally built for like the con the Kanban or Kanban. Yeah. And it, I remember hearing like realtors are using this and, and people for home right. improvement projects. And I was like, what? This is like, <laughs> this is like a software development thing. But Fully it like, jumped the chasm. It yeah. totally did. And, and yeah, yeah. someday you do. Now you don't need, see, I don't think you, depending on what you want to do with the business, yeah. you don't need to check across the chasm. No. You, you could build a perfectly like suitable, yeah. you know, six, seven figure business yeah. uh, purely with developers if you want. Mm -hmm. And then obviously the potential is eight, nine, five, I don't even know what Slack is. <laughs> the look, but yeah. it's a lot of money. That's a lot of figures. Yeah. <laughs> I, I lose count at a certain point. Yeah. So. Yeah. Totally. Cool. Um, yeah. What else? You have things on your, you literally have an envelope. I do. With I, things scribbled on Back it. of the envelope. Yeah. Um, I couldn't find scratch paper so. here. So I, I have notes. Um, I think I have. Well, the only thing is, uh, thanks for uh, forcing me to shower this morning at oh, 10 a.m. Yeah. because yeah. you told me I thought we were going to record a podcast, and you were like, "Yeah, we're going to do it on video too." And it was like, "Uh oh, <laughs> I need to clean myself the up." Shower. You're you're wearing pants. Thank, wear thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was gonna. If we weren't on video, I would have walked into your apartment and like, come boxers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is not appropriate. It's retired life. Yeah, that's it, man. Yeah. When you're unemployed, you can, yeah, you can roll that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's. It for me, I mean, I just wanted to hear updates on level and it sounds like, yeah. you know, it sounds like it's moving along and yeah. you got a good road ahead of you, man. Yeah, this is a fun I one. So. I, d I did have one question for you. Yeah. So this was sort of like your microconf talk. You talked about the pros and cons of being in a funded environment versus a bootstrap environment, mm -hmm. right? We're self-funded. And one of the things you talked about was, was um, Colin from customer.io's term fund strapping, mm -hmm. which is sort of the hybrid approach of raising some angel investment, but not necessarily going for a series A, mm -hmm. right? And that seemed to, like based on my, like me being in the room and hearing all the questions, like almost everyone at, was asking you questions about fund strapping, right? And trying to- I was surprised by that. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to hear your assessment of why that is, but I, for me, it seems like, you know, a lot of people are attracted to the bootstrap self-funded route, but it's just a really hard road. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there is sort of this conventional wisdom in the business world of like, you should be spending other people's money. Mm -hmm. Like, and so people wanting to get more into that phase, but not fully give up control from right. like the traditional VC route and, and have those kind of growth targets. Does that right. seem... Yeah, like, I mean, is that why you would do it? Is that what you're... I mean, that, that would be why I would do it as yeah. a founder. Does that seem yeah. like... That's the benefit is, the, yeah. is yeah, it's a way to, because once you, so institutional money is where you get into, I'll say trouble or, mm -hmm. or that's when it gets really complicated. The point of no return is once you've accepted institutional yeah. money, um, because then you have, you have a board, you have board seats. Now, a lot of people accept institutional money and then, but they don't give up control of their company. Yeah. So it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to. I mean, lead pages was, you know, the, the, the as far as I know, the VCs do not own a majority. So they couldn't, you know, yep. do, do things that you hear about, you know, 10, 15 years ago where you get voted out of your own company, right. that kind of stuff. Right. So there, there's plenty these days that are not doing that, but it adds a level of rigor where you have to now have these monthly reports and these yeah. board meetings and, you know, all the stuff that I talked about in my talk, which is like, yeah. That's why you don't raise funding is because you don't want to deal with that, right? Yeah. Um, nor the, you know, you need to hit the 100 million or whatever it is, mm -hmm. uh, ARR. Yeah, fund strapping is kind of that in between and it's um, raising, like I said, between 250 and 500K yeah. is what I'm seeing. And it since it's not institutional money, you raise it from a group of angels, mm -hmm. right? And, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe you get a bunch of people writing you 25K and 50K checks. Yep. And they have ownership, but maybe you sell 10 or 15% of your company. There's no board. And you, in essence, you don't, you know, you don't answer to them. I mean, you, you obviously have like ethical obligations and yeah. there's legal, you know, intricacies. Yeah. And frankly, a bunch of the companies that I've invested in, I say a bunch, I've invested in a total of 11 and I think four of them are fund strapped, mm -hmm. four or five. Many of those have like the founder's parents are like putting like retirements at like 100K. Yeah. So 
there is a not just a fiduciary duty, but like you imagine how you arguably feel. more of a responsibility than if you were taking VC money. I mean, yeah, v- VC money like is it. a calculated risk on their part. Yep. You, you don't feel like you're going to maybe bankrupt your parents That's in right. their retirement yep. by this thing failing. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And so, you know, I think again, Rand Fishkin's book Lost and Founder goes deep into mm. like the troubles with VC, and he goes even way deeper than I, you yeah, know, than I even understood. Yeah. And he's like, as soon as you're not growing fast like the vcs don't want to spend their time with you because they have these other companies and they want to stick with the ones that grow and they only want the one in 10 that's going to 10 or 100x yeah and that doesn't happen with fund strapping you know right um i think it's could be the best of both worlds Mm -hmm. now the struggle with it i mean there's a bunch of negatives to it too right a you do have to go through all the legal crap of getting documents and getting people in you're taking their money so you do feel pressure you know there were some quotes i had from some businesses i invested in where it's like i feel pressure because i have your money right you know and And knowing my personality i will probably feel pressure i will be on the camp of feeling pressure not like "Eh, it's fine i got that's money other people's money yeah potentially there's like you said there might be more pressure yeah because it's your friends it's your community maybe your microconferences you know and it's not some institutional money yeah but it can help you go faster and it can also help you i mean going into a competitive space these days like when people say hey i'm going to start a SaaS in mm-hmm. that whatever space i think wow there's already 10 doing yeah. that and that wasn't the case you know 2010 right you could pick a niche right. go vertical and it was a little easier and yeah. then it's gotten harder and harder so yeah i i don't think certainly don't think fun strapping is the um, a, a silver bullet, but I do think it's an emerging, mm-hmm. you know, emer- I don't phenomenon is a wrong word, but mm-hmm. like it, it's an emerging kind of movement and more, definitely more people are thinking about it. Yeah. Question in my mind, long-term is, you know, VC investments typically take 10 years, seven to f- between seven and 15 years to figure out like, did we make any money? Yeah. And fund strapping is not that old. There hasn't been, you know, uh, customer.io is the first one I ever heard do it. Now yeah. has customer.io returned yeah. enough money that it made it worth any you know that worth their investing I, I don't know yeah and the investments i have none of them have right the only investment right. i have that's returned anything was wp engine which was a which was seven years ago that i made it yeah so long term will fund strapping be around or is it not a viable business strategy yeah you know is there not enough profit thrown off to pay the investors back? right 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 it's sort of yeah it's an experiment right now right for do you feel like deep down like more of a like this is something, this is a model that should exist. Like it's a healthy model and therefore I'm going to engage in angel investments of this kind yep. or are you, so it's sort That's of a risk on your part, right? Yeah. Like you, you, like you're, yeah, you're going into it knowing that maybe this won't actually return a bunch, but right. Right. That, be part of it. Cause the big, that's right. Because I believe that it should exist right? yeah. because for people like us and microconferences yeah. and, and just our, you know, kind of bootstrap community, I think it's going to be a better place if, yeah. if this exists. I think more of us will be successful. And I think, uh, kind of validates the model. But, you know, venture capital was super disorganized and it was, you know, a cottage industry and kind of a mess until the, really the mid to late 90s. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's only been proven out, so to speak. It's existed since I think the 70s, maybe? Like, like Sequoia Capital, like those... Those guys, yeah, those guys even came around, late, you know, in the, like, 80s, I believe. Yeah. And so, but the, and there was like one, you know, there was like one firm doing it, you know, and then there yeah. was two and three and it was still kind of a mess. And so... If this works, it'll take a long time to do it. But, yeah. but there is there is precedent, you know, when you start a um, a car wash, yeah. you know, or or a restaurant or whatever, you get essentially fund strapped. You don't plan on raising another round later, but you do need startup capital, right. and you plan to invest that in the business. And if it works, you pay back with you know dividends or um, yeah. you know or payouts. So. Yeah. Yeah, I said su- like I suspect this has been happening in one form or another. It's just the tech industry has sort of relabeled it, and yeah. it's like it's an alternative. It's an uncommon alternative to the common path of the typical tech startup that yep. goes VC these days. So, right. yeah, I bet people in other industries would be like, "Ah, you guys are <laughs> you guys have reinvented something that we've been doing right. for hundreds of years." This you is know? just called business financing. Yeah. Where I come from, you know. Yeah, you're right. It, VC has been typical because a lot of the businesses that have been started are these kind of moonshot, moonshot ideas. Yeah. Whereas it's really just been in the past, let's say, 12, 13 years where non-moonshot software ideas were even really a thing. You know, before that, it was like you could have a, uh, you know, kind of a WinZip or an FTP download or shareware. But like, think there was no SaaS, you know. And so as that's come about, it's like, wait, this is a totally viable model to make six or seven figures. And if I could throw off, you know, 30%, 40% net margins i don't know did the numbers work out i, th- I think they might at a certain point seems like they would especially if, if like this type of financing has been happening for car washes and yeah. restaurants for a long time but the margins on those businesses are low so low yeah. and you look at the ma- margins of a SaaS company and like yeah. the potential to pay back 
to, to get an ROI much faster is there, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, the, the kicker is the valuations. And if people yeah. go out and they try to fund strap, this is the thing I've been trying to run the math on is if you try to fund strap at kind of venture valuations or series A valuations, I don't know if you're ever going to get your money back. So yeah. almost the valuations have to be lower by definition yeah. because you're never going to hit that big one. So that that's the, I think, you know, remains to be seen. And yeah. certainly someone smarter than I has been thinking about yeah. this, like Bryce Roberts from Indy.bc. Yeah. I, th I think they have, yeah. they have the model dialed in. So, And I guess like the other thing is probably that like a car wash, for example, you may be like buying a building as part of this. Yep. Um, so there's a, there's a physical asset that yep. could be like, so in the event things go south, you could sell this mm -hmm. thing and get some money back. But yep. in software, it's like all intellectual property, right? There's no right. So we've probably talked for long enough on the, the main part of the show. I think we should probably wrap, wrap it. it up. But Sounds good, thanks man. for coming. For sure, man. Yeah, we got to do this pleasure. again. Indeed. I had a great time. Yeah, I kicked Ben off again. And uh, <laughs> yeah. let's just say for the next 52 weeks, we've got to show up here. <laughs> nice. And this was fun. We are So if you're listening to the audio of this, we're actually standing in the same room because we're both in Minneapolis. So yeah. it's always fun to do these when when the opportunity arises. Yeah, so. that's cool. Thanks cool. again for having me on. Yeah, you bet. And the show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Well, should we do a post loop? I think so. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's been a while since we did one. Mm -hmm. uh, but I know. We, the feedback has been good on it. Have you guys gotten feedback on, well, actually, I'm not supposed to talk about those. But, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say you're not supposed to. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have. People have said similar things where it's like, don't do them every time. Yeah. And people will start to listen. And if they're like, I don't care about because we talk about movies yeah. and all types of random, but we talked about crypto one time. And, yeah. um, you know, if you don't care about that, I just skip it. And so, yeah, yeah overall, it's, it's just fun to talk about. Totally. Right. Yeah. That's, for me, I'm almost doing it for me rather than right, right. <laughs> anyone. But yeah, people yeah. seem to enjoy it. Yeah. And to hear us get more casual, right? Mm -hmm. Where I don't feel stiff and stilted on my podcast, but as soon right. as I listen to the after show, I'm always like, why Why do I sound so yeah. relaxed all of a sudden? I bet, I, I mean, I would guess on yours, like you're trying to, just the format of your podcast, you're trying to make it so like the, the meat of the show is tactical and it's not like... No, it's not necessarily like personality driven or entertainment driven. Yeah. It's all about like, let's deliver the information to provide value. Yeah. So you kind of probably click into like professor mode a little totally. bit there. Yep. And yeah. Although we've learned over the years, people say, yeah, I came for the information and I yeah. stick around for the story. Yeah. Like, so they yeah. like, be more people and, you know, be more real humans. Yeah. And uh, first, if you go, don't do this, but if you were to go back and listen to like the first 40, 50 episodes, like we were super stiff in education, yeah. educational. And then it wasn't until in the 30s or 40s where like Mike went back, Mike and I went back and told our story. We talked about yeah. fears and all this stuff and that clicked with people and they were yeah. like, oh my gosh, this is what you should be talking about. Yeah. So, Well, I think that, I mean, that was one of the inspirations for Ben and I. That's was why we went like full swing, all all story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no yep. tactics, you know? Yep. And I don't know. There's, there's a niche who enjoys following along with the story for sure. For know? sure. Maybe yeah. not quite as broad of a base. You know, there's, I'm sure you guys have a much um, larger potential of people who, a portion of your audience comes for the tactics and like couldn't right. care less about the story, you know, yeah. but then I don't know. Yeah. We do see reviews. We saw a review one time that was like one star and it was uh, in iTunes and it was like seven minutes of talking about bull crap. And then, and it take, and then a, a cursory overview of something, Hey, get yourselves together, man, oh or something. Gosh. And it was like, yeah, I guess, I guess that guy didn't care about the story, right. you know, but, right. but it's one in, you know, yeah. 500 iTunes reviews. Right back and be like, I release you from your obligation to listen to my yeah, podcast. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you want me to refund the money you yeah. paid for this right. podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so. Give me your Bitcoin address and I'll send you yeah. zero. <laughs> Speaking of Bitcoin, mm -hmm. what's uh, what, how you been feeling about? So you know, it was it was up, 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 end yeah. of last year, January. It started going down, yeah. right, all the way until tax time, and then yeah. right after tax time, it came back it's up, back. and now it's dropped a little bit in the last couple of days. Not just Bitcoin either, like yeah. crypto in general, right? Because you have a few different. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, t I so I started playing around with it. Um, oh, it was probably like year and a half ago, I think, and I literally just put in. Just kind of rewinding through my crypto story because I think I've told it. Like, I literally put in a thousand dollars. This was right shortly after drip acquisition. I'm like, okay, I'll gamble a thousand. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So um, mid 2016 then. Yeah. Two years ago. Two years yeah. ago. Okay. Yeah. Time flies. Um, so I did that, and then I really didn't pay attention to it at all. That's the best kind of investing, right, right there. Yeah. yeah. And I, I frankly almost forgot about. It. Like, I kind of stopped checking Coinbase for a while, and then uh, it was like I don't know, not quite a year later when it had rallied. It was. I was starting to see the news about it. You were starting to talk about it more. Like, oh, did you check the Bitcoin yeah. price? And I'm like, oh yeah, I have that. I have that coin. Right. I think I bought it at 
it was like eight hundred or nine hundred dollars. So yeah, I had just a little over one coin. Yeah. And so then when I saw it rally up to twenty grand, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> of course. Before that, it was when it would made it to to nine or ten grand, where I was like, huh, this is quite interesting. Yeah. Like, like I still think of it as a pure gamble, mm-hmm. and I'm unwilling to put any money into it that I'm not, you know, willing to to lose. Right. But I did start averaging in a little bit more at that time, and I had some, um, and then like. Bitcoin Cash fork happened, and then Coinbase finally made it available like late late last mm-hmm. year. And it like, I mean, there was some weird stuff around that. I don't know if anyone ever unpacked what the spike was right after it yeah. launched, or if it was fraud yeah, or gaming, whatever yeah. gaming. But I mean, I like instantly sold that and like netted a couple grand just yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah. I'm like, this is insane. Yeah. So it, it, just, it seems so unrealistic. Yeah, this is happening. Yeah. And then, like, I had some Litecoin for for a while and was just like, you know, I don't really know. The, the thing is, even though I can't think of this as a traditional investment, I still feel like I got to the point where, like, if I'm, like, having a little bit of money in a bunch of things and I'm not actually, like, I can't form a good opinion about whether I think Litecoin's going to be around for a while. Mm-hmm. I can at least pay attention to Ethereum and Bitcoin news. Yeah, yeah. But, like, Litecoin, I have no idea. And the whole long tail, I'm just like, I feel like I want to be informed if I'm going to own some of this, even yeah. though it still is a gamble. So I sold it and like that had, that made a nice profit too. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I, mean, I don't think, I mean, I have my own personal opinions about it, but like Litecoin is just kind of a, it was like the early, early fork of Bitcoin yeah. and it's like, it's not a bad thing, but it, right. it really does not move in in the same ways that yeah. Ethereum. I don't I don't think it has the future. It'll be around, but I don't yeah. think it has the future. I don't think it's the silver to Bitcoin's gold. Right. You know, and I think like the, some people were unsure about that, and I think the fact that like that that Coinbase offered sales of it, yep. maybe that may have helped. Like, oh, I think big time. give it legitimacy because yep. like the biggest platform is like it's one of the three right. that it, they offered. So because there was, I mean, there were rumors <clears throat> that it was going to Coinbase was going to start supporting. I believe it was Monero and like mm-hmm. Monero went through the roof and then when they dispelled them, it like dropped, Tanked. right? So it's <laughs> yeah. like, there's a, there's a real photo confidence yeah. that Coinbase is going to support you. Yeah. So. And then I don't know if I talked about my Coinbase drama, but my, my wallet, my USD wallet got frozen when because, I, when you, because I moved to Minnesota yep. and I did, they didn't, and I updated my address on file and they, they didn't notice, but when I did ID verification, that's when they cut it off. Yep. And I had, I'd sort of forgotten about that in the, in the sequence of events. And so when it happened, I was like, okay, I'll just email them. No big deal. Withdraw my money. I switched to, I have all my stuff in Gemini now. Yeah. Um, so, uh, did send them a support ticket and waited 124 days before Whoa. resolution. Wow. It's yeah. a good thing you did not need that money to fix your car. Or something. Right. <laughs> wow. So four yeah. months. Yep. That's nuts. So they basically did they, uh, that's, that sucks. So, they, and you were tweeting them and everything, which I was like, trying, I, I was pulling out all the stops. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I didn't want to like annoy my my Twitter followers too much with yeah, this, but like yeah. you know, try and like maybe I'll get their social department to yeah. And then I called them up. They actually have a phone number, so oh, I called them on the phone and talked to a, a rep. Yeah. And like told him like yeah, my, my wallet's been frozen for three months now. Like look, and he was like oh my gosh, it's terrible. Well, certainly we can fix this right away. Hold on one second, and then came back and gave me the same stock answer that I've gotten from everyone else. I guess they had this this tiny department that was responsible for reviewing these claims and like toggling your your account back on so you can withdraw funds and he's like yep he's like their stock answer was look man we had hundred thousand customers join the platform in december right around the time you submitted it so sorry you're out of luck you know yeah so i like from from on the one on the one hand i like understand Mm -hmm. why they couldn't get to it but i was still like come on guys yeah because you had cash sitting in there cash in there yeah out there yeah 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 that's a bummer so, and it, so that's finally you, resolved. Yeah, we're good. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, that was like this week. Actually, yeah, I was going to say resolved. two months ago we were talking about this yeah. and it wasn't resolved. Yeah. So. Um, and so you still own some of yeah. Bitcoin and Ether. Yeah. Right? So I stopped. I stopped averaging in when. Well, it was during during the slide when it was going down. I was still like, okay, buying opportunity yep. as it's sliding down from twenty k. Yeah. Um, but. Um, uh, but my wife checking to see if we were done recording. Yeah. <laughs> this is postlude. We're we're not done. <laughs> um, so I, I'd been averaging it, and then it just continued to slide, continued to slide. And I'm like, all right, I've hit my threshold on what I'm willing to to put in. To put in, yeah. So I'll just 
I didn't touch it, so I haven't sold any of my Bitcoin or Ethereum, but I'm just okay. sort of like hanging on, yeah. hanging on to it. Hodling. Yeah. Hodling. Is that Hodling? what they call it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you pronounce it, but H O D L. It's like a typo on H O L D, like hold. Okay. And it's it's a it's a crypto thing, really a Bitcoin thing, where they would yeah. be like, because it's so volatile, right? That yeah. People would get all this Bitcoin and go way up, and um, and then they just just hodl, just hodl, so that everything doesn't go down. Like when it, right. don't panic and sell. And so that's right. what you'll see. The hodlers are the people, you know, I mean, there are people with hundreds of thousands of these right? yeah. that are just hanging on yeah. for dear life. So yeah, that's cool. It's still, and then what's your policy been on it? Are you just, oh, I'm hanging hodling? on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, well, so here's what I did. I, I start right after the acquisition as well. Yeah. So, you know, I used to love investing and, and once I started doing companies, starting companies, I just ran out of the bandwidth to manage it. So yeah. I would do the 401k or whatever the, you know, IRA stuff and just throw it in ETFs. But as soon as sold the company, I suddenly found this headspace of like, oh yeah, I love this stuff. Yeah. Like I love trying to figure out securities and all this stuff. So yeah. started investing more and uh, I was talking to Clay and he was like, yeah, I had owned a little bit of Bitcoin, but yeah. he's like, you can dollar cost average it now. And I didn't know that. So right away, July, 2016, ether was at four bucks and I don't, Bitcoin is probably, I would guess six or 700 and yeah. I started averaging in and which was obviously happened to be a good choice, but I was, I viewed it as an angel investment. I was telling yeah. you this, like it's either going to zero yeah. or I'm going to make 10 or a hundred X on it. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was, I mean, it kept going up and up and up. And what's interesting is I put way more money in than I would have in the past mm -hmm. because there was that, you know, proceeds from like my net, it was as a percentage of my net worth, it was still yeah. a tiny percent. Right. But then it ballooned up to this yeah. enormous, like a third of my net worth or something insane thing where it was like, whoa, yeah. that feels uncomfortable. Right. You know? Any any financial planner would tell you like, sell. Yeah. So I started, as it would jump up, I would dollar cost average out. Out. Really individually, not on time base. I would watch, yeah. you know, cause it would float, float, float. It would go down and up. And then I, when I'd see the big jump up, so like when it hit, you know, three grand for the first time, I sold like 1%, yeah. you know? And then when it hit six grand, I would sell 3%. Yeah. But it kept going up so that I, I didn't have any less dollar value worth, mm -hmm. you know? So it was this weird, it's an odd problem to have. Yeah. It sounds like a first world problem. <laughs> it's like, things keep going up and so. I my asset allocation is way out of balance because my Bitcoin is exactly, 100X. Exactly. <laughs> so, but then I got in, I mean, even back then in, in late 2016, I didn't know, is it like, is it gonna be Bitcoin? Is it Ether? Is it Litecoin? So I bought a bunch of, I bought Monero, I bought a bunch of things. Yeah. Um, I think I had six or eight of them. and. I have sold some since then. I sold some because it just felt like the right right, right thing to do as it went up. Uh, I sold part of that to buy. I bought a car. Hmm. I've never, you know, I bought my Volvo. I've yeah. never had a nice car, and I yeah. bought it. I bought that. Um, but everything else, I'm just kind of hanging out and see what happens long term. Yeah. Again, it's money that it would be a bummer if it went to zero at this point. But it right. was. It's nothing. I mean, I I've pulled out so much more than my initial investment at yeah. this point. I I was playing with house money like 18 months ago. You know. Yeah. So and I haven't gotten to the place of playing with house money. I don't think because I averaged in for a little while, but I'm yeah. still significantly up over what yeah. I've put in. There it is. And so I've been trying to like it's become harder and harder to keep track of how much I've put in. I know. Um, it gets tricky. Tax time was a little tough yeah. this year actually. Yeah. It was uh, it was a challenge. I luckily only sold. I'd only sold Bitcoin Cash. I think either that or Litecoin. I'd only like sold one in the tax year, so yeah. it was it was pretty simple. It it I, like yeah. the the cost basis was straightforward, and the whatever, yeah. and like Coinbase was just like had beta tax tools or that. whatever. That yeah. was like. I don't know if I can I really know. trust you this. <laughs> got to open numbers, right? Yeah. yeah. The biggest thing, I, if someone, if you're out there and you're thinking about this, is if you're going to buy it, hold it for for a year so that you can get the long term treatment. Otherwise, it's income tax rates, and then you're just getting decimated. Yeah. So that's that's one mistake I made with just a portion of it. I didn't track the exact day. Yeah. And so when I actually printed it all out from Coinbase, and for, I have a couple other, um, what do you call them? Uh, not marketplaces, but the exchanges. Exchanges. Yeah. Yep. That I use. Um, I was off by a few days and so I had some short-term sells and it was just like, oh yeah. man, I'm gonna pay, a, you know, whatever yeah. it is, a third of like, that goes the away. The capital yeah. long-term cap gains rule applies to this? Yes. Or like hold if it for more than a year? Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. So that's the big thing that I screwed up with, just a small portion of it, but I realized that could have been a lot of money. Yeah. You know? um, but now there are these funds and that's what I, so I did sell some and throw it into, essentially it's like an ETF, but yep. it has a high minimum and you have mm. to be accredited, I mm -hmm. believe, to be in it. So. Mm -hmm. um, but they are across the top 15 currencies hmm. by market cap at any point. Diversification. Yeah. And that's so that's nice. what I would love to just, 
Right. But frankly, I'd love to pull all my money out and throw it in there, but I don't want to pay all the taxes yeah. on the sale yet. Right. You know? So long term, I don't want to manage stuff in exchanges. I do. I, right. To me, I view this as an just another. It's sort of like sort of like buying. Hey, you're buying individual stocks right now, and that's not. Yep. That's not really the best approach for right. for stock market investing. You yep. want you a want diversification. diversification built in, and so. even stocks. It's a little different than stocks because it's more. These yeah. exchanges are way more cumbersome. Yeah. I can't just sell all that I have. There's all these limits. Right. They could feasibly get hacked. I know that some of them have insurance and some don't. Yeah. Um, there, there's way to me. There's more complexity holding individual yeah. coins, and there's this management of it, and you can send it to the wrong address, and it poof, it's just gone. Like that won't happen with stocks. Yeah. You know? There's yeah. there's actual danger. So I prefer for someone else to be the custodian of it, and. Um, and for the diversification as yeah. well. So I think, I mean, I believe, I know people are working on the ETFs, yeah. you know, and I think that once that comes out, I just view it as another asset class, right? Mm -hmm. It's, do I want to go out and buy individual bonds or do mm -hmm. I want to own a Vanguard bond fund, mm -hmm. right? And do mm -hmm. I want to buy individual, you know, yeah. uh, REITs? I don't want to go buy individual real estate buildings, right. but I own REITs, right? Yep. And so crypto is a, you know, should be a very yeah. narrow slice of, yeah. of your portfolio or my, you know, I'm not yep. giving advice, obviously, but yeah. I never viewed it as like, I'm all in on crypto. I know some people are like, have a lot of their liquid net worth in yeah. it. And I'm like, that's it. That could, that's how they're going to pay off for you right. or wow. Right. Yeah. I think like Clay has talked, Clay has a podcast now where he's sort of just journaling stuff. And I think he talked, there's one where he was talking about his, his, uh, Bitcoin strategy okay. where he was like, um, you know, he's, he's experimenting with trying to live off like cryptocurrency income or something like that and like uh, sell yeah. off just enough to like pay the next month's bills or whatever Interesting. and i don't know how that's working out now that right. like it's taken a big dip and it's been down for you know kind of trending downward for a little while right or up and down um but it sounded like based on what he said on there like he had a pretty significant chunk of assets in yeah. crypto so i can imagine he's very he i mean does. he's building a whole startup around it so he's totally. he's very bullish on them yeah but yeah, it's hard when like people like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, all these guys are like super thumbs down on crypto. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, who's wrong here? I, I don't know. know. And with the yeah, it's tough because Warren Buffett's certainly a smart, a smart guy. Yeah. Um, there was the most recent episode of Silicon Valley. I don't mm -hmm. know if you saw it, but no, it's about behind. they try to they talk about launching their own instead of getting a Series B about doing an ICO. Yeah. Um, for for the the company, you know, this uh, it's not Pied Piper anymore, is it? Yeah, no, whatever it's called. I think it. it might be called. Yeah. But um. And one, you know, um, one of the guys is like, yeah, Warren Buffett, you know, says it's not worth anything. And he's like, yeah, why do you think that is? Because Warren Buffett has 68 billion of this other token <laughs> that's, you know, it's the thing here, but it's a new token yeah. that could potentially devalue this other one. And that's it. So they have this really interesting conversation yeah. about it. I'm not saying, I mean, I've always been a fan of Buffett. And so, yeah, you yeah. may be right. And that's why I don't have any more money in it right. than, than I could lose, right. you know? Yeah. Um, but it's definitely like, you know, like gambling on. Uh, or betting on startups. Mm -hmm. I mean, starting companies is risky too. Right? Right. I never had more money in, you know, companies than it would have been catastrophic for my emotional state. But yeah. it would not have, you know, I wouldn't have lost the house, right? Yeah, on startups. Yeah, so. totally. Yeah, it's interesting to think of it as like, um, think of your your net worth as you know allocated in a certain way, mm -hmm. and and just figuring out what's the slice you're going to put into it. Totally. And, you know, one or two percent seems yeah. reasonable, right. and you know probably won't send you into ruination. I mean, you have, this is assuming you have a certain, you know, pool of assets that are beyond living expenses or whatever, but it's assuming right. you're in that scenario, you know, it's yeah. kind of interesting, even if it's, even if for someone it's, uh, you know, $300, like, yeah. it's, fun it's interesting to think of it that way. It sort of separates the emotion from investing. Totally. For me, at least. That's you know. right. Yeah. That's how, I mean, that's how I view investing as asset allocation. Yeah. And so, I have, uh, I think, it, I don't know exact number, but maybe 3% of my net worth is in precious metals, yeah. which sounds just like, why would you own precious metals? Now, so, you know, some of it is physical in a vault and others is the paper, you know, there are yeah. ETFs you can buy of gold. Yeah. And I buy it because it hedges inflation. There's a bunch of reasons, but it's a very small amount because it doesn't earn income. Yeah. And, and it's the same thing with, with Bitcoin or, it's yeah. like, there's, or crypto in general. There's no income coming off of this, but I do realize that there are times when it's going to go up when the market's going down or vice versa. Yeah. And it's purely a, a hedge against that. So yeah. I think like you're saying one to 3% is always the number in my head. When I think about these odd or like alternative asset classes, collect yeah. collectibles, you know, that I like yeah. collect com yeah. like really expensive comic books right. from the, from the fifties, sixties, even the forties. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I actually just got yesterday a bit, you know, Bill Watterson is Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he like never, his original art, he never releases it. Really? And well, never, very rarely. So like his original art for a strip is like to get it's like 40, 50 grand. So wow. I did not get one of those because that's very expensive. <laughs> yeah. But the last strip, it's called The Last Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a print of it. So it's not the original, but it's it's wet signed by him. Mm. And which is again, unusual. You can't just go and yeah. buy a wet sign. Like it's only yeah. up for auction because he was always kind of a, you know, a hermit and a little yeah. bit of a curmudgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, I won one at auction yesterday. Nice. It's it's the last Sunday. It's framed and it has a wet sign, Bill Watterson. And I'm such like a Calvin Hobbes fan. That's so it's awesome. that kind of stuff. And But yeah. that... You know, again, it's like less than 3% of my net worth is in those things. But I view it. I didn't buy that. That's not buying a car. It actually is very unlikely to go down if I hold it. You know, if if you overpay for it, art can go up and down or whatever. But like that asset, if you look at it over the course of the last 20 years, as long as Bill Watterson doesn't do something that like tarnishes his name, right? I mean, that could happen, (laughs) you know? That's the risk. He's a serial abuser or something. Sexually harassed people, you know, then it would be catastrophic. Right. you know, if he just goes on and, and passes yeah. away like most artists or whatever, like that's actually a piece of yep. something that I enjoy in my home. And also, you yeah, know, um, it, I, I do view it as an actual asset. Yeah. You know? But yeah. again, you want it to be less than sure. Less than a few percent. I go so. put in uh, 50 percent, 30 percent into God. that. <laughs> Catastrophic. Yeah. So. Cool. Cool, man. I think that's good that's good. Uh, we better kill this video before it like sucks up all my uh, disk space. I'm, yeah. I'm a, getting a little nervous. Crash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a long one. <laughs> cool. All right. All right. Until Take next time. Bye.